This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay and had a good weekend. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Monday, September the 26th. Now, top story today is about a Maidstone mum who says she may be forced to put her severely autistic daughter into foster care if she doesn't get a place at a specialist boarding school. Liz Lindenbauer says 10-year-old Eva's needs are becoming too much for her current school, Five Acre Wood in Lewes, and it's becoming a struggle for her family. Now, Eva has autism spectrum disorder and also has a severe disregard for her own or other people's safety. Her mum believes that going to a specialist school in Sussex would be the best thing for her. Liz has been speaking to our reporter, Megan Carr. My daughter is 10. Um, She... Uh, has been assessed several times by private therapists. We had to go and get our own because the local authority were dragging their feet with that as well. And we got a specialist ABA therapist who said that she has said that she's almost like a a high, like a 14-year-old, you know, so she's not like a normal 10-year-old. She's very high-functioning, but she needs basically a lot of support with her behaviour and her mental state and things like that. She's very smart, She's trying to teach herself Korean at the moment, which I just don't even know how, I can't even comprehend that at 10 years old. Um, but she's where she's at now at Five Acre Wood School. It's a great school. It's a smashing school. It's got her to a level now where she can go off and do other things. You know, we're not saying that the school is terrible or anything like that. We're just saying that it does not meet her needs anymore. She clearly needs a greater challenge. And She clearly is, well, she tells me she's bored there. She tells me there's too much going on. It's very mixed in terms of abilities. She's already in the highest functioning class. It's time for her to move on. And the school, from what I understand, they want to support this. Although they're not allowed to say they can't meet her needs, it's obvious that she's grown out of that system and that she needs this new provision um when she attended the new provision she went for two assessments and one was just one night and two days at school and the other one was three days at school and two nights and they got her past an excellent panic like she had this she used to get these severe panic attacks where she would vomit really really badly And it was really, really traumatic. In fact, the first time I almost called an ambulance because I was convinced that, you know, she was having some psychotic episode or something. It was really scary. But then they got her past that in like 20 minutes and they rang me up and said, oh, don't worry, she's in bed now. She's asleep. She's had a bath. We've read to her. Everything's fine. So they got her past that. And essentially, she's got to have behavioural therapy like that where they your brain can essentially make new pathways and it can repair itself so essentially that's what they're doing with this behavioral therapy your brain and at this age it's the perfect age to do it at 10 so they can push her through this behavior they can get her over these humps and she can learn new ways of dealing with things rather than being triggered upset and having these very difficult severe behaviors which with respect my family cannot deal with i cannot deal with if this continues to get worse and a normal person would not be able to deal with. So we're doing this 
so essentially the school really got her through that while she was having an assessment period and when I saw her about I don't know two days at the last assessment she was actually did so well that they offered her a place before the end of the day which is I was not expecting that usually they have to go off and discuss it and have a meeting um but when I saw her, I couldn't recognize her from a distance because we met her there were there were they were having a fair for the end of some for the summer and um I didn't recognize her her body language had changed she looked more confident she looked together her speech was clear she was a diff she was telling us what she needed and it was giving her back her independence you know I was offered 52 weeks or 38 weeks and I said I want the 38 weeks I don't want to it's not about sending her away it's about giving her her independence giving her an opportunity um for those life skills but when she leaves the school at the end of the day she 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 goes and does her life skills there but the the ironic thing was they get 25p pocket money and Eva came out of there with two pounds fifty so she'd already done quite a lot of chores in those two days and even emptied all the other kids bins in their in the house you know where they were sharing um so it, it was just un, unreal like how quick it all sort of came together and it's very rare and very seldom that a child with ASD, even high functioning ASD, bonds so quickly with a school and so readily. Um, and to have that drop into your lap and then be told, well, no, is to me immoral, you know. So um, that's, you know, what we're dealing with now. Um, to, I want to see my daughter like that again. And she wants that. She's already packed her suitcase. <laughs> She's already packed her suitcase to go. So, yeah, this has been a very stressful time. But she's a very happy kid. She just um, she knows what she wants. She knows what she needs. And I think that's very encouraging. You know, so that's what we're um, that's what we're sort of dealing with with her at the moment. This very weird interim time. Well, Kent County Council say we have every sympathy for Mrs. Lyndon Bower and her situation and are currently carrying out a further assessment to see how the council can support her and her family. Kent Online News. Other top stories for you today, and two people have been arrested after a police chase involving a stolen Land Rover. Officers spotted the vehicle in Dartford yesterday, and it was followed into Thamesmead in south-east London. The driver and passenger tried to run away, but were caught and detained. An arsonist who blew up his ex-partner's garden shed in Gravesend has been jailed. Tyrone Ludlow was caught on doorbell camera footage with a petrol can shortly before the explosion in April. She was at home with her three children at the time. The 35-year-old from Lane Avenue in Greenhithe has been locked up for more than three years. A Medway man's been banned from getting behind the wheel for a year after drink driving. A 25-year-old's BMW was pulled over in Strood in the early hours of the morning after he'd left the Tappan Tin nightclub in Chatham. He's also been ordered to pay more than £200. Next today, a couple say they're disappointed after being told they couldn't pay with cash at a new cinema complex in Canterbury. This certainly isn't the first time we've had stories on the podcast about whether we're turning into a cashless society. Well, Carol and Richard Riley had been out for a walk and stopped off at the cafe in the Curzon. The building, as you may or may not know, is part of the £115 million Riverside development in the city. Well, they've been telling us what happened. I thought I'd take it for nice. Um, drink, uh, you know, like afternoon lunch, and um, 
coffee and that. I had a nice walk through the town. And then we thought we'd come to the curtains and we thought we'd end up there. Nice development for us residents. So we thought we'd um, give it a go. So we found our seat, we sat down, uh, went through the menu. The woman asked us um, if we, what we, what we were going to have. So we then said what we were going to have, didn't I? Um, I had my, my money on the side, on the table, and she said, I'm sorry, we can't take cash. And I thought, well, we, well we, some people don't have cards and that. And, um, you know, I mean, we, we, we know how much we're spending for a start with cash. And she said, well, I'm sorry, we just can't take it. So I said, we've had, had this walk with expectation of having a nice snack and a nice cup of coffee here, this new nice development for residents. So you, you're turning us away. And she said, not turning away, but we're just not taking it. I mean, do you feel that you're being discriminated against because of uh, your, your older people? Well, I think it was discrimination. I think so, don't yeah. you? Definitely. She made it clear that this complex is all based on students. Yeah. Um, discounts for students. Yeah. And, and, that, and we're, we're council tax paying mm. residents and there's nothing for us. Mm. Basically, but, we was just turned away because we wanted to pay by cash. Yeah. And, and that left you feeling a bit deflated. Mm. Very deflated. Most definitely. Mm. It's not right. Mm. Now, cinema bosses have apologised for what they say was a miscommunication. And while they went cashless during the pandemic, they insist they will take cash payments when there's no alternative. Or well, hundreds of you have been commenting on this story. Warren G has written, I sometimes wish there was a cash only till in places. The amount of time I'm stood waiting for someone to pay by phone. Rural Rider has added cash should be the priority form of payment, as it has been the case for hundreds of years. It should be the same now, with cards being an option. Rubenstein has said to us, if they only ever use cash, how did they cope during lockdown when it was card only everywhere? I'm from the same generation as these two and I'm perfectly happy with card only payment. Move with the times. And finally, Freddie has said, I understand their frustration, but the older generation on this issue isn't being left behind. Cards have been around in the UK since 1966. That's over 50 years of people using other forms of payment except cash. It always generates an interesting debate. You can search for that story on Kent Online and still add your comments. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. A person remains in hospital after being hit by a train between Canterbury and Ashford. Emergency crews were called to Charton Railway Station on Saturday and southeastern services were delayed for several hours. A motorcyclist has been caught going more than double the speed limit near a Kent village. Police were carrying out checks on the A262 not far from Sissinghurst when they saw the vehicle going 65 miles per hour in a 30 zone. The bike has been given an official warning. People living in Faversham say plans to build a 5G mast would create an eyesore. Company MBNL want to put it up in Queen's Hall car park in Forbes Road, but people living nearby are worried about how it'll look, as well as the prospect of losing car parking spaces in the town. You can let us know what you think by commenting on the story today at Kent Online. Now, there are calls for an eviction ban in England to be reintroduced, but one that Kent charity says it's only a temporary measure. It would stop landlords from forcing people to move out without a good reason and is something that was first brought in during the pandemic. 
Now it comes amid a report which suggests there could be a homelessness catastrophe this winter due to the cost of living crisis. We've been speaking to Chris Thomas, who's from Canterbury-based Porchlight. So obviously um, there are people calling for an eviction ban um, because there are a lot of households that are in very real danger of, of losing their homes and ending up with nowhere to live. Um, and obviously we don't want anyone to sort of get thrown out of their homes but we're also quite con- uh, conscious that um, an eviction ban, um, although it will, pre- will prevent this from happening, um, is, is just a temporary solution. And we feel as though uh, the government needs to, to tackle uh, the, the causes of, of why this is all happening. And what would you like to see the government do in that case? What would be some of the top priorities that you would call for? Well, I think it's no secret that people um, who who rely on uh, welfare payments to get by, like the, the the welfare payments, aren't really covering the the cost of their rent. Um, so we need we need people uh, to receive enough money to actually be able to to live without a threat of losing their home. Um, it, you know, we need we need more housing built uh, that is actually affordable, more social housing. We need caps on 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 rent on house prices um we just need the affordability side of this all brought under control uh no we're hearing from a lot of people in Kent who are really really struggling right now um a lot of people who are you know don't know if they're going to be able to pay the bills put food on the table um cover their rent or mortgage um so there's a lot of people who are at very real risk of becoming homeless um over the next few months um, and obviously the government has, has sort of announced a, a, an energy cap but people are still struggling we need to go further if any of your listeners are, are struggling themselves um, charities like Porchlight are there to help in any way that we can and you know if you're struggling it's always best to reach out for help sooner rather than later Kent Online reports. A crash involving six vehicles caused major delays on the M25 this morning. Emergency crews were called to the Dartford crossing just after seven and one of the tunnels was closed. We're told no one was seriously injured. An inspiring story next from a woman from Maidstone who's now helping others after beating a four-year battle with anorexia. 23-year-old Emily Hale was first diagnosed with an eating disorder when she was 18. And at one point, she would walk 70,000 steps a day while eating less in a bid to lose weight. Well, she's now working at the Signet Hospital in Maidstone, where she was treated and is helping others gain control of their lives. Emily has been speaking to our reporter, Cara Simmons. When I was first diagnosed, I went to the doctors. And when I was admitted to the eating disorder service, within two days, I was um, admitted to inpatient care. Um, where I spent nine weeks, I think that one was, um, came out, the, went to uni, and then three years after being discharged from that one, I was into another inpatient, which was last September, and was discharged in January, then started this job in January, and things are looking better. What is it like to someone who hasn't experienced what you've experienced, what is it like being anorexic? I guess um, overall it's it's uh, really isolating. It takes up every minute of every day. 
thinking about how you're going to eat less, how you going to exercise more. Um, it takes away from friendships, family, spending time with others because you're just busy, preoccupied. Um, when you get really unwell, you can't actually see that you're unwell anymore. Like it, you just think you're fine, push everyone away. It's only, well, for me personally, it's only been when I've been in crisis points that I've had to then make a change in my life. Um, yeah, and it can feel really overwhelming and you feel on your own quite a lot because then the eating sort of convince you, no, it's fine, you're still living, you're still going to work, you can still do things. But even though deep down, I've always known that things haven't been okay when they've not been okay, even though I wouldn't admit it at the time. Was it quite easy for you to say that you you know you needed help? Um, I guess my family could see that I needed help. And like my mum says now, she's like, I wish I'd said something sooner, but it wasn't actually them that I asked for support from. Um, it was when I was 18, I just, it was on a gap here and I was meant to go and travel with my friend. So I was at the doctor's for some injections for going to Thailand. And I was just leaving, I'd had the injections and I just turned around to the support worker and was like, um, I think I need some help. Like, And then she put me in serial nurse doctor the next day because things have just been getting worse and worse for a while, other behaviours coming in. Yeah, and it was just that one moment I just, yeah, I didn't tell anyone that I was doing it or asking for help. I just turned around and was like, I think I need some help. But thankfully she listened to me and got me an appointment the next day with a really nice doctor who she knew would be understanding. Yeah, and I was really grateful to her and that doctor because she helped me for a lot. Well, we do thank Emily ever so much for being so open and speaking to us about her battle and for confidential support on eating disorders. You can visit the Beat Eating Disorders website online or you can call their helpline. The number is 0808 801 0677. That's 0808 801 0677. Ryan and Clark has pulled out of a book signing event at Blue Water. He was supposed to be at Waterstones yesterday to meet fans and sign copies of Ten, which has been released to mark a decade since his first appearance on our screens on The X Factor. We're told it was cancelled because of unforeseen circumstances. Former Strictly dancer and Kent resident Ola Jordan is urging women not to leave it too late to try for a baby. It's amid a new report which suggests almost half of women are delaying starting a family because of concerns over things like the cost of living, the war in Ukraine and coronavirus. Well, Ola, who lives in Westmoreland, has been telling the podcast how she prioritised her career and then it was harder to have a baby. Well, I suppose as a woman, you just never know when it's the right time to have a child. Um, and as the research shows by IVA uh, London, that 49% of women uh, are delaying having children uh, due to fears of the cost of living, the war in Ukraine, COVID. So there's a lot of different things, uh, but 49% is quite a big um number really um uh, the same as me I delayed it to have my career and travel around the world and had this wonderful life uh, but then one day I woke up and it was a bit too late um and I had to um have IVF thankfully for me um you know it, it happened first time and I've got my beautiful baby girl now uh, but 
not many women are that lucky. Um, so I think the key is is not to leave it too late. Yeah, what, what would be your advice? I mean, for someone obviously considering it or, or like I say, wanting to, to put it on later on live to prioritise other things like their career. No, I think it's important to say, you know, it, it's up to you and it's your decision. It's everyone's decision. But, you know, don't leave it too late because you don't want to be in a situation, you know, where you have to result in all different things. And, um, um, yeah, you just don't want to leave it too late, basically. How how difficult was it for yourself, um, you know, trying to have a baby, and then, as you said, it was it became too late. Um, you know, trying to to grapple with all of that. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was definitely very hard. I always wanted to have family from very young age, so um, I always thought I'm I'm going to have the time in the world to have a family. And then one day I woke up and it wasn't um, the time sort of gone. And and you think, right, okay, I've got to result in having IVF now, which was good and it was amazing uh, because I had my baby girl um, thanks to IVF. You know, I wouldn't have my child, um, but you don't want to have to be in that situation where you might just not, you know, leave it too late that you can't have children anymore. Kent Online reports. The clock tower at Medway Hospital and the spire of Rochester Cathedral are going to be lit up pink this week. It's to raise awareness for Organ Donation Week. Across the UK, someone dies every day in need of an organ transplant. There are currently almost 7,000 people on the waiting list. A rare moth species that's thought to have been extinct in Britain for more than 40 years has been spotted near Dartford. The Clifton nonpareil is sometimes referred to as the blue underwing, and experts say it recently recolonised in the south of England. It was found at Longfield Railway Station. You can see a picture of it on the website. Also on the site today, you can take a look inside a luxury 14-bedroom hotel in Sittingbourne. The Tongbarn Hotel has gone on the market for £1.65 million. The Grade 2 listed building dates back to 1823. Now, if you played the Euro Millions lottery this month, you could be sitting on a fortune. A prize worth £112,000 is yet to be claimed, and we're told the ticket was bought in the Tunbridge and Malling area. Make sure you check your numbers to see if you won. And Lewis Capaldi has made it two weeks at number one on the Kent Top 40 over on our sister radio station, KMFM. His song Forget Me is still top, followed by Hold Me Closer by Elton John and Britney Spears. Harry Styles has also kept his place at number three with As It Was. Kent Online Sports. Football first up and Gillingham's winless run in League Two continued over the weekend as they were held to a goalless draw at Hartlepool. The Jules are four places off the bottom of the table with only seven points from their ten games so far. They've only won one game in the league this season. Well, boss Neil Harris spoke to us after the match and was trying to take positives from the weekend's game. First and foremost, today was made a lot harder for us as a task with a new manager coming with a bounce. Um, I'd, I'd seen some games earlier in the season of Hartlepool and they struggled in some encounters um, and today that was a completely different outfit. Um, so it was always going to make it a lot more difficult um, coming up here today. Um, however, I thought first half we handled it really well. Only, only threat they looked like having was when we turned the ball over um, cheaply. Other than that, I just thought we got some great areas, played some good football at times um, and ultimately should have been in front at half-time. Um, Second half was a lot, lot more even, the wind dictated a little bit more, got up a little bit and, and we struggled to get out um, without giving bun- bundles away. Um, but when, when when it is when you're not on the front foot second half and you are, the opponent does, does rally, 
then you've got to make sure that you don't concede. And we made a couple of, Glenn made a really couple of good saves and, and, and we'll write a great tackle. And finally, in cricket, Kent welcomes Somerset to Canterbury for their final game of the season. The home side will be looking to end on a high after an impressive victory over Hampshire last week. They're also hoping to secure their place in Division 1 after a tough season, which has seen them win just three games so far in the competition. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. We also want to say a massive thank you because the Kent Online podcast has just hit a million downloads. Thank you ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can also follow us on our socials. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Plus, you can get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do that, you need to subscribe. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.